0: Depending on the industry and depending on the sector and the time frame and the objectives of the organization, acquisitions can be a, a very valid part of a growth strategy. Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening.
1: Are you ready?
0: Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions.
1: Get across trends in the area
0: and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki.
1: Hi Rod and welcome back. I'm glad to have you on the show again talking about preparing your business for sale.
0: Thanks Joanna, it's a pleasure to be
1: here. Great. So today we're launching into part two of our two-part series. Last episode, we talked about preparing for sale for SMEs, but today we're talking about medium to large companies. I guess maybe we should start off by clarifying what we mean by medium and larger businesses as opposed to the SMEs that we were talking about in the last episode.
0: Yeah, I think there's, it's important to look at the characteristics of different businesses as they change in size. And here we're talking about services businesses and and in the global scheme of large companies, they're not very large, but mm. they've certainly got characteristics that are different from the, the SMEs we discussed previously. Mm. Mm. And so in, in this, this characteristic, I'm, I'm talking about organisations that probably have an Australian dollars profit above about $2 million profit before tax. And to be able to achieve that, A business needs to have characteristics related to sustainability and and management capability and position in the marketplace and so on. And, and the companies that get a little bit bigger than that, sometimes beyond the sort of owner dominant type business and are moving more towards the corporate characteristics that larger businesses have. Mm. So really looking at owner dominant and corporate.
1: Uh-huh. And do you find that in this space, often you have a different type of buyer that's interested in these types of businesses versus the SMEs?
0: Oh, certainly. Um, um, partly because the cheque that needs to be written is larger and yeah. therefore there's, there's a different type of buyer who can write a bigger cheque, but also the characteristics of what a person is looking or what, a, what an organisation is looking to achieve by an acquisition changes when the company is larger.
1: Mm. So I guess our SMEs quite often, you know, you might have that range of potential buyers being, might be someone in, that is coming to purchase a business for them to run themselves as an individual or a group of individuals. But that's less likely the bigger the business gets, right? So our pool now is looking out to potentially larger purchases. Is is that generally the experience you've had in this market?
0: Yes, that's right. So it'd either be um, larger companies in the same industry, in the same geography. So, you know, Australian companies buying larger Australian companies. But now the characteristics might be of the buyer that it might be an overseas company looking Mm. to expand to Australia, Mm. or it might be an investment related uh, entity such as private equity that's looking to get into a particular sector or a geography.
1: Mm. Okay. All right. So tell us a bit then about the definitions that are relevant for our listeners to understand if they don't know their way around mm. this M&A topic in this area.
0: Yeah, so by comparing contrast, we talked about the SMEs and, and quite often a, a small to medium company is is run for the benefit of the owner in that it is it uh, gets the characteristics of a lifestyle organisation. And here we're talking about organisations that have moved beyond that and, and the leadership of the organisation is is looking to build the best business they can. They've got a strategy in place, they're looking to execute the strategy and they start to take on characteristics that are less about the personality and the personal wishes of the shareholders and more about the uh, the entity, the, the business itself. And so the larger owner-dominant businesses and then the corporate businesses are characterized by, I suppose, being less personality driven, Mm. but still is there and more about, I suppose, what we expect of businesses, which is, you know, board characteristics and uh, strong management teams, uh, sustainability of revenue, quality of strategy, quality of financial capacity and characteristics and so on. And those characteristics not only come, allow these organizations to be larger and to be more predictable in what they do, but it also has the impact of because of that sustainability and that repeatability, then the valuations and the value of these businesses goes up as well.
1: Mm. And I guess as well, to add to that transition can be a bit easier when you're dealing with an organization like this because as you say it's less dependent on the personalities of individuals who you know might be the, the sellers, you know the, the owner sellers in the SME examples.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so the transition is quite often that the the management team don't change at all. They just have a new mm. owner, and and or if there are you know one or two shareholders maybe leaving or or people changing as part of an acquisition. But the the, the bulk of the business and the, and there are depths in the management team that are able to step up and take responsibility for the new owners and and take the business forward. And and that just comes with size and it's just a characteristics Mm. of size.
1: Mm. It's interesting that you noted before that valuation, the valuation formula increases somewhat for a larger organisation. So, you know, I mean, I guess therein is even more incentive for SME owners to try and get their organisations to build them into a bigger beast if they're interested in the end value at sale.
0: Yeah, and and so quite often a lifestyle business is actually being run to make profits for that year, and so the owner can can withdraw profits for that year and, and sort of a creating wealth as you go. Whereas once you get into the larger businesses, they tend to be concentrating on equity value and rising mm. equity value, and, mm. and, and looking to build a business that has the characteristics that are going to give them a greater equity value. Mm. Um, there is a rule of thumb that is worth sort of putting out and and this comes from the private equity world where if you look at the um average of a particular sector in, in a country so it's such as Australia then the, the average value of that sector for the publicly listed companies when you then look at the privately owned companies that have corporate characteristics but are not listed they would be worth about two-thirds of what the mm. publicly listed companies would be worth. And then the the privately owned businesses, the sustainable privately owned businesses that are probably still owner-dominant, they would be worth about one-third of what the publicly listed companies are worth. Mm. So there's, there's some rules of thumb that do stand up over time and, and show that, that as the characteristics of an organisation change and size and the sustainability and the repeatability of the business change, then the valuation does actually rise.
1: Mm. Yeah, interesting, which obviously, I guess, is why some public listed entities, you know, find it attractive to go on an acquisition path.
0: Yeah, and and look, depending on the industry and depending on the sector and the timeframe and the objectives of the organisation, acquisitions can be a, a very valid part of a growth strategy. Mm. Which I'm pleased about, given that's the business we're in.
1: Great. Okay. So I can't remember, have we provided the definitions of, um, di- have we talked about working capital yet? Have we, have we gone there?
0: <laughs> let, let, me just, let me just talk a little bit about, um, um, about some definitions first and then I'll come forward. So one of the things we talk about with businesses that are owner-dominant and then moving towards having corporate characteristics is, is and I've mentioned sustainability, but it's sustainability of everything in the business. It's not just sustainability of earnings, but it's this sustainability of the management team and the mm. sustainability of the internal processes and the strategy planning and, and the ability to handle disruptions and changes. So if a person leaves or a client uh, is lost or an economic condition happens, it's it's how an organisation is structured and able to handle that so that they can continue on and be a, a thriving entity. Mm. And, uh, and and as a company gets more towards the corporate characteristics that we describe, it, it includes things that would make the business able to be a listed entity a publicly listed entity if it's so wished so that might mean that moving towards an external board having audited accounts having you know professional management at the top level rather than maybe people just out of the industry who've grown up into the into the uh, jobs and so all of those characteristics become important and and are looked for by somebody coming to do an acquisition Mm.
1: so
0: if i could just Talk about the other thing that, that moves along there in terms of the definitions is that if an organisation is coming along to, to look at an organisation, if it's a larger entity and it's going to live up to its expectation of being a more corporate entity, then that business should be ready for sale. So when, you know, they should always be available to have the conversation about an equity transaction. Mm. Whereas I, I don't actually recommend that for lifestyle companies because mm. I think it's distracting. But mm. once it's a larger company, it is a sign of the capacity and readiness of the organization to handle unforeseen circumstances mm. and um so being always ready for sale has has a whole bunch of characteristics, but it's mostly being totally on top of your business from you know, a financial and management and position in the marketplace and so on.
1: Mm, And legal perspective, I guess we'd say as well.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. So almost having done a mini mini due diligence uh, constantly. And so, yeah, all all of the legal compliance, uh, not only in place, but you can prove that it's in place.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. All right. Well, look, let's work in then to what our top five things are in getting a business ready for sale
0: certainly i I still include the personal plans of the shareholders need to be taken into consideration and that doesn't apply to all companies in this sector but many of the larger businesses in australia are still privately owned and the founders are still actively involved in those Mm. businesses
1: Mm.
0: and just like for a very small business the personal goals and ambitions and the, the the personal um, readiness, if you like, of, of those people becomes very important in an acquisition transaction. So if if the business has been sold, the shareholders, those founding shareholders, need to be very organised personally to be able to make the decision to sell and to be able to walk away from something that's been an important part of their life. Mm. And, and sometimes if they don't have that in place, if they're too attached to the business and haven't thought about life after the business, that can actually... Stop a transaction going ahead because they're having to think and process a whole range of scenarios that they're not prepared for.
1: Hmm. And would you say one of these areas as well is sort of bringing the team and and key stakeholders along with you in in that in that thought process as it or that vision as it progresses?
0: Yeah, and 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 look, and, and I do think that's that's probably the second characteristic is that the thing that an organisation can do to get ready is to have it as an active, to- an open topic of conversation that the management team have a shared vision and, and the scenarios for the future are talked about and the impact of those scenarios on the management team as a whole and on the individuals is talked about and known. And so that there's no surprise when that becomes a, a real life situation mm. and those discussions are happening. Mm. The management team and the board do need to be very prepared and very organised and and not have any sort of um, unspoken secrets, if you like, Mm. because it it will show through. All Mm. of those things become very visible and very public during an acquisition process, and you need to have covered them off beforehand.
1: Mm. Absolutely. Unifying that vision, I guess that's what it's all about, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. And look, I, I think it's important to – there's the old story out of the management books about getting the right people on the bus and then making sure that those people still want to be on the bus on for the journey. and And that is so true because – you know, I, th- I, th- I think that a, an M&A process is, is one of the more emotional business situations you can be in. Yeah, And, and there is nowhere to hide and, mm. and differences and, you know, a, a lack of unity will show up very quickly.
1: Mm. And, you, you know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, in some of these sale environments, there might be key personnel that are part of the management team that will be required to continue on with the business as part of a buy-in. So it's really important if that is going to underpin part of the value of your sale that you tick those those areas off early on because quite often you know even in the larger organizations i find management teams are still connected in a personality sense sometimes with the underlying beneficial owners of an organization so it's important to introduce these concepts early enough for people to settle into them from my perspective
0: yeah, no, that's true. And look, especially since we're concentrating on services businesses here, um, it's not unemotional and, it, and there are teams of people and there's the the organisational staff who need to be motivated and kept aligned with, with the goals of the organisation. And so the management team becomes a critical part of any acquisition transaction. Um, you consider the recruitment industry where I concentrate. We quite often have people coming from North America or Japan or from the united kingdom who are coming to our region to acquire companies and and they need a stable and continuing management team mm. or they in their own hearts can't make a decision to acquire mm. a company mm. because it's just too far from their home base yeah you can't you can't jump on a plane from london and be here to solve a a you know a staffing issue yeah. you've got to have a stable local team yeah and you know if the management team is not prepared for that then that will reflect in in either no transaction or a reduced price on the transaction.
1: Mm, yep. Great. Okay. All right. So then, what's our third top tip in getting ready for sale?
0: We we haven't talked about um, deal structures for larger companies. Um, so in the previous podcast, we talked about how a multiple of profit and an earnout and the discussions on working capital and so on. And all of those things still apply, but they're probably a little more rigorous and a little more defined, probably less creativity in, in the way deal structures are done with larger companies. Mm. So if you can imagine buying a listed company, you, you can buy a listed company by effectively writing a check and the company is yours. There is mm-hmm. no discussion of earnout. There's no discussion of working capital and all those things because that's taken into account for um, for what the value of the company is. It's a little more creative for privately owned companies where um, it's still the multiple of profit, but it's assumed that the working capital will be included, or the, the minimum working capital requirements. It's a very clear definition, not on actually normalized profit before tax, but on EBITDA because you're expected to have much more sophisticated um, accounting and therefore that that is easily to be defined. And there is probably less emphasis on the deal structure where there may still be an earnout and there may still be some payments in the future based on performance, but they'll be probably less creative and more structured. Mm. And to be able to achieve that, a company needs to constantly be ready in terms of its financials. Mm. We are still surprised at how as companies grow, they don't necessarily increase the sophistication of the of the financial function within the organization. Mm. Smaller, smaller companies worry about uh, the profit and loss statement and pay attention to the cash flow. When you get to be a larger company, the balance sheet becomes even more important. Mm. And having the very detailed and structured and predictive profit and loss balance sheet and cash flow becomes an important characteristic of showing how prepared you are and how sophisticated you are as an organization. Mm. And and many organizations in Australia fall over on that. Mm. So the third tip is to have not only clean financials, but appropriately sophisticated financials and great governance around that so that your are how your financials are prepared, the quality of them, the payments you make, the um, compliance you have within your financial requirements are all uh, very clearly identified and able to be proven.
1: Mm. Great. All right. Wonderful. And then what's the fourth area we should be looking here in getting ready for a sale? Well,
0: I want to talk about how an an organisation can't be insular when it gets large. We quite often see with small to medium businesses that it is okay for the owner to basically shut themselves off from their industry and just run their business. If you want to be seen as a um, player in the market and as a contributor in the market and having a position in the marketplace, then as a larger company, you can't do that. The old Enron story about the smartest guys aren't in the room, I think, applies here. So even the management team, the board, they constantly need to be having external people looking at their business so that they are realistic about their performance, they're realistic about their position in the market, and they're realistic about their buyer audience. They know what type of company might come and look at them and what that company might be looking for. Mm. And that requires them to know their business uh, intimately. It requires them to understand their industry sector intimately, and it requires them to have a very broad view, not only economic, but political, um, not only local, but international. And so to do that, they've got to be outside their business. They've got to be participating not only in the industry, but participating broadly around the world to make sure they know where they sit. If they have somebody who approaches from, I don't know, Japan or the UK or something, they need to know what that means and and what the implications are for for the company that's approaching them.
1: Mm. So with your work in the recruitment sector, then what, what is your advice, you know, in, in that particular industry for businesses that are in these medium to large size who are wanting to, who perhaps maybe aren't fully appraised of where they sit in the market and, you know, don't really have a good understanding about who their buyer might be, who the potential buyers are? What, what are ways that they can really start to um, get to understand these areas?
0: Mm. I think, first of all, they need to do things like benchmark their business so that so that they know whether they're any good or not. Um, so it's no good saying we're the best at what we do. And then you run some benchmark numbers across them and you find out that they're just average. Mm. Um, so that's that's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> but I think people need to just get out. And that means they need to travel. They need to talk to people. They yeah. need to get external people to come in and look at their business and look at particular aspects and not be afraid of what that uncovers. Mm. I personally think one of the advantages of living in Australia is that, that from a business strategy point of view, we tend to follow what happens in other countries, especially the United States, because that's the, the driver of most business strategy, in, in my opinion. Mm. And so go to conferences in the United States, travel mm. to other parts of the world, yeah. look, look at what their issues are, and then you can come back to Australia and say, well, actually, they're probably going to be our issues within the next you know, two to five years. Mm. And, and be able to talk about that and talk to your staff and talk to your management team about those things so that as an organization you're ready and prepared.
1: Mm, that's a great tip. I love that one. That's a really good one. Okay. Right. I think we're up to our fifth then. What's our fifth and final tip in relation to getting a business ready for sale?
0: This is an, an unusual one, maybe, but people concentrate and think that selling a business is all about maximizing my profit because at the end of the day, who buys my business is going to pay a multiple of profit. And that is true. But there is a lot of sort of courting that needs to go on before that happens. And not only personality, but the attractiveness of the business is very, very important. And so one thing you might find is that organisations that are starting to think about or possibly thinking about selling will quite often increase the amount of public relations they do. They might speak a little bit more at conferences, they might do those sorts of things. Mm. And I think that is really valid, because you have to position the business, you have to, uh, you know, position your business publicly in terms of what you do, and what you're good at, you need to make the business easy to find. And you can't be precious about things that are very, very important to you internal to the business, but are probably less important in the in the broader conversation. Mm. And so all of that sort of attractiveness of, of making yourself easy to talk to, and m- maybe even sharing information about how your business is going becomes really, really important for an organization that is coming to look at a larger set of entities and working out who they're going to go and approach. Mm. If they can't get a feeling for you in the public marketplace or in the industry itself, then they're probably not going to go and knock tap on your door.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, great.
0: So, so it's unusual. So we talk about, it's sort of the opposite of what I've talked about before in that in a lot of Being a larger company is about being, you know, great governance and great financials and all those sorts of things. But you actually still got to have the personality as a
1: company. Mm, That's interesting. Still putting yourself out there.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. As a personality of the business, I guess, to a degree. Great. Okay. All right. Wonderful. So just as a recap there, we talked about the five top areas that um, businesses should be looking at in preparing themselves for sale if they're falling into that medium to large category, which is having a personal plan, having a great management team and a shared vision, having clean financials and great governance knowing your business intimately. So I think there we talked about benchmarking and your position in the market and being realistic about the buyer audience. And then finally, positioning the business, getting out there, making the business easy to find, making sure it's got a public profile that a buyer will be able to pick up um, if it's looking for you in the market. So great. Thank you so much for coming in today, Rod, to um, talk to us in this second part. I think you've shared a lot of valuable insights. Um, And of course, if any of our listeners want to read more about the insights you provide, where should they go?
0: Yeah, uh, contact details are available on our website, as well as a lot of blogs which relate to this type of uh, conversation. Uh, So at hhmc.com.au.
1: And you guys push out a lot of content, don't you? I I see your content and it's really, you know, it's really good content, particularly, and I think it's probably applicable generally to services businesses, but obviously, particularly to recruitment businesses.
0: Yeah, we do find that people from um, other service industries follow our content and uh, and seem to get some value out of it. So we're really pleased about that.
1: Great. Okay, wonderful. Well, look, once again, thanks so much for coming in again, Rod. And hopefully we'll have you back again soon to talk about some more of these uh, areas of interest to our listeners.
0: Thanks very much, Joanna. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen. that will conclude this evening's entertainment.